podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Doug. And Doug, we're also going to have a guest on this episode. Uh, our first ever attempt at doing Zoom. Yeah, we finally uh, broke the mold and followed what everybody else has been doing for the last few months and got a Zoom guest on. I guess, I mean, it's not our first time ever doing Zoom, but it's our, our first time doing a Zoom guest. Yeah, uh, we're going to be joined by Stefan Roger. Um, really excited for the conversation we're about to have with him, and I hope you guys are too. And you can follow him on Twitter if you aren't already at Stefan Roger. He's also a writer for Canucks Army. Um, so yeah, also with you. Looking forward to having guests back into the fold. And hopefully uh, if this all doesn't go haywire, we can we can have more guests on in the future again. Doug, how's uh, your week been? Did you get to watch much football? Uh, I did actually. Uh, yeah, uh, it was a football-filled weekend, which was really enjoyable, even though my Patriots weren't in the playoffs sadly uh there was still some really good games to to be had uh there was a couple of snoozers uh your seahawks were involved in one of them oh, and obviously that, that, that bear saints game was also terrible to watch um but yeah overall i thought there was some good football uh, congratulations to the buffalo bills even though they are in the same division as my beloved patriots for uh winning a playoff game i believe it was their first playoff victory in nearly 20 years i think and then, uh, obviously, the Cleveland Browns. That game was mind-blowing last night. That was something. Hey, I, I wonder, do you know what the over-under was on that one? I don't know, but if you hit the over, you were definitely happy. Yeah, that's uh, that was something else. Uh, 28 nothing in the first quarter. But I know a few people out there in the Canucks universe were pretty happy about that one. Yeah, uh, there's a few Canucks fans that are uh, uh, Browns fans. I know, uh, obviously, Satyar Shah. Uh, over at Sportsnet's a Browns fan and Ted Wong over at the PP1 podcast another Browns fan congratulations guys uh, your team finally won a playoff game in 20 some odd years and the Bills the first time in 19 years it was a, it was a fun week for football I mean the what do they call it the super wild card right you got the six games back-to-back triple headers so uh, it was that was a lot of fun to watch um, I know we got the national championship game going on tonight and now we're all just kind of into the January COVID doldrums, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, we still have some good football coming up this weekend as well. Um, you know, Tom Brady as well, I forgot to mention, former Patriot, uh, his Tampa Bay Buccaneers won. Uh, so that was good to see. Uh, yeah. You cheer uh, for the you cheer for the Bucs then? Uh, yeah, I guess of the teams that are left, I guess the Bucs would be one of the teams I would cheer for. Uh, yeah. And we had uh, a COVID scare here in Vancouver as well. Yeah, the Canucks had a, a scare at training camp. Thankfully, it sounded like it was just a false negative with one of the players, which is great. I think you mean a false positive there, Doug, don't you? Yes, sorry. Sorry about that. <laughs> well, we got a lot to get into this week. Uh, first of all, you can find us on Twitter at Canucks Speak, and you can find myself at Pete underscore Gas. Give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Then. And as always, we're growing this ever-growing playlist on Spotify. It's the Canucks Speakeasy outro playlist. You can find that on Spotify. And another funky jam will be added to the list today. And coming up here, we're going to bring Stefan Roger on the line. And again, you can follow him on Twitter at Stefan Roger. And Doug, I think it's time to dive into what's been an exciting week for the Canucks. Let's do it. 
Joining us now, we have Stefan Roger himself on the line, joining us from all the way up north. Stefan, how you doing? I'm doing great, guys. Uh, thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for jumping on. It's and we picked a good week to have you on too. There's more than enough to talk about going on in Vancouver land today. I uh, I know I'm honestly a little bit worried that I missed some big obvious thing today because there's so much news and you're gonna you know quiz me about it right away and I'm gonna have no idea. <laughs> but, uh, you know, fingers crossed. I think I got it all. You know. Yeah, plenty plenty going on. We've seen waivers. We've seen moves. We've seen uh, guys on waivers that I know a lot of fans have been just clamoring to see on waivers. So maybe we'll kind of start with uh, a few of the forwards that won't be with uh, the team to start an opening night. What do you think about the Canucks moves with sending Erickson and Berchi down? Two kind of different stories there for me. Um, Erickson is obviously a long time coming. Um, I don't think that's a hot take at all. Uh, you know, you saw all the, all the celebratory gifts and stuff being posted on Twitter today. There's uh I had the, you know, Frodo dropping off the one ring in Mount Doom personally, but uh, there's some good ones. All those crabs on the beach, you know, you've seen them all. Um, especially with what you heard this year of, of him coming into train camp, really disengaged and not doing a whole heck of a lot up there. You know, there was the the first set of sprints or, or whatever it was where he was dead last on the team. And, uh, you know, you're still uh, – making the most money out of anyone on the team, you know, still to this day, that's pretty unacceptable. So I think for Erickson, long time coming. I, I'd agree with, I agree with that with, uh, with Erickson. I mean, this is a move that a lot of fans have been looking for for a while. And it's nice to see as well that this apparently opens up a few spots for some of the younger guys. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't know if that's necessarily the case with Erickson. I, I have to think the plan was probably not to have him on the roster this year from the get-go. I'd like to think that, uh, given some of the players they'd have to get rid of in lieu of him. like you'd, you'd hate to see a guy like McEwen losing his spot on the roster for Louis Erickson. That just wouldn't seem right. So I kind of hope that was the plan from the get-go. But uh, Hoglander, or Hoglander, sorry, I've learned the, the pronunciation recently, and I'm... I'm just getting used to it, but uh, Hoaglander definitely forced his way onto the team and, and that changed it up. But I got to think Erickson was probably heading down anyway, whether it's to the taxi or to Utica. Do you guys, yeah, I was, you just stole my thunder, uh, Stefan. Do you guys think Sorry. that, <laughs> do you think Louis going to actually end up in Utica or just be put on the taxi squad? Because I mean, don't get me wrong. Obviously we will still get a little bit of cap relief with him being on the taxi squad, but to really get him off the team and to kind of move forward and for him to not be this constant anchor and, you know, this constant divide, well, even the most poignant, you know, happy, go lucky, positive fan can't be happy with the Louis Erickson signing. But do you think it's better suited for the Canucks to just put him in Utica for the year as opposed to keep him around on the taxi squad? And you brought up a great point, Stefan, that he's kind of had a piss poor attitude the first couple of days of training camp. Yeah. And I mean, I don't, I don't want to paint the attitude thing on. I, who knows what's going on? Maybe he is just broken down at this point and a little bit slower. I think it's a really interesting question because it's a, it's a short-term versus long-term for me. I think Erickson on the taxi squad makes sense in the short-term. He's a quality, well, I don't know if I want to say quality. He's, a, he's an NHL-level talent still, I would say. Um, I think you're better off having him on the taxi squad than, say, Cole Lind, 
a player who I think needs to play as much as possible this year. Um, in that sense, there's also the the kind of more off ice, more manipulative sense of do you want him down in Utica because that makes it all the more likely that he foregoes the final year of his contract to return to Europe. Um, and that's kind of shady. And I don't know that that's Jim Benning's game. Uh, Jim Benning is not necessarily one for shady tricks. Right. Uh, so I, if I had to guess, I would say that Erickson's on the taxi squad. And if he's in Utica, then that sends a pretty powerful message about the long-term game. Yeah. First of all, I want to give you props on the uh, in lieu pun that you did there. I'm not sure if you're aware of that, but that was in entirely un- unintentional. I, I like that one. As I'll a take pun, credit though. Pun master myself. I, I just had to get in there. Um, I tweeted at Sat Shaw earlier today and asked him the same thing. And he does not believe that uh, Erickson wouldn't report to Utica this year, but if it was next year after he collects his signing bonus, uh, then he may walk away from it. I think there there's a small chance we've seen the last of Erickson with the Canucks, but I think it's more likely he goes to the taxi squad. And I agree. I'd rather, I know Doug and I, we talked about this last week about the kids. We want the kids to play. Like, we want to see guys mm-hmm. like Cole Lind and Jonah Gadjevich and Jet Wu. We want to see these guys. And it looks like Jack Rathbone as well, go down to Utica and actually get to play as opposed to sitting up in the press box. Yeah, I agree. I actually wrote a thing for Canucks Army a week or two ago on that exact subject. And, and my kind of premise was like, uh, isn't this universally agreed upon in hockey circles that young players need to play? Because um, there was so much talk of, oh, we'll have, you know, Rathbone and we'll have Di Pietro up on the taxi squad all season working with the, the skill coaches and the, and the goaltending coaches, you know, Chris Higgins and, and Ian Clark. And that just sounded so bizarre because I, I kind of thought it was universally agreed upon that young players need to play. And uh, I, I'm quite sure that the Canucks are going to go in a veteran heavy direction with the taxi squad. I think um, with one exception, maybe being Sven Berchi. Do you think that the possible, well, the fact that the Canucks have to share uh, the comments this year with the blues and obviously Trent Cole is still the coach down there and he's probably, and hopefully got the best vested interest in what's best for the Canucks prospects as opposed to the blues prospects. But do you think that could potentially force some of management's hand to keep one or two of these young guys on the taxi squad? I know Pete and I discussed in the last episode that I agree with you wholeheartedly, both of you that you do want the young guys playing. It doesn't help them sitting in the press box night in night out. But for a guy, I I look at, Di Pietro, for example, as a player that, you know, he would be getting practice time with the NHL players. He'd be taking NHL player shots. Um, You know, that could be good for his development. I still think, you know, game experience is the be all and end all to help develop your skills as a player. But yeah, you know, could sharing the comments with the Blues impact some of the young guys not getting sent down and remaining on the taxi squad? I don't think so. I think um, one of the small bits of news today that uh, I almost missed was that uh, Comets captain Carter Banks retired today. Um, I think that's where you're, I think those are the sorts of players that you're going to see hit by the combined teams. Whether uh, I haven't heard yet of any other teams emerging their AHL teams, but I have to think it's coming. Um, and so there's going to be this general roster squeeze and, and then players going up to the taxi squads. Um, I think there's going to be room on the comments, especially with the fact that the Canucks, you know, 
own the comets and, 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 you know, pay Trent calls salary. Um, there's going to be room for the roughly eight or so of them that need the development. I think, um, although I did hear something interesting about Di Pietro possibly going to one of the Canadian AHL squads, which would be an interesting thing. Um, and then maybe have Jake Keeley on the taxi squad, but you don't really rely on him because you've got that option to call up Di Pietro, which is interesting. It's, it's going to be certainly a weird year for player movement. Also, you know, Kalamazoo's not playing this year, which puts a, a further squeeze on the team. And I think you're going to see more European prospects continue to get loaned back to teams after training camps. Because again, you just, a lot of the time now you have less spots for people to play. You just want to get them in there. One guy has really benefited from playing over in Europe and looks like he's going to make the team is Niels Hoglander. How excited are you about Hoglander possibly sliding into this top six role? enormously excited it's it's one of those um i i was mentioning this to a couple of friends recently that it, it this offseason has really felt like one of those puzzle pieces falling into place sort of things um with the you know nate schmidt falling into their laps being a good example of that um hoaglander really solidifies the the top six in a way that they were lacking i mean the you kind of had jake for and penciled in there um and we all wish the best for Jake Vertanen and he'll have an opportunity. I'm sure this year when injuries strike, but there was definitely a missing ingredient there that Hoaglander brings to the table. He's, he's got that enormous level of skill. He's got a two-way conscience, which if he does end up on the line where he is right now with Pearson and Horvat, he's going to need, they're going to have tons of defensive minutes uh, heaped upon them, especially if, sorry, I'm kind of all over the place with this answer, but uh, if, if you have a Gaudet Vertanen third line, you're going to need to shelter that third line. You're not going to rely on them for shutdown minutes. A lot of those minutes then go to, to Horvat um, to have a winger already has got one in Pearson who with a strong defensive conscience, you've got a real two way talent in Hoaglander who also has that game breaking skill. Uh, it's uh, it's very much a, a perfect situation. Do you think though with that, uh, there's maybe going to be a bit of an aversion to using Horvat as much in a shutdown role. Do you think that, I mean, we've long criticized on, on this podcast about how we keep talking about a top six instead of a top nine, and there needs to be more scoring depth. And could there be something to said, well, hey, we have this, what looks like a very prototypical fourth line in whatever capacity it is, whether it's like a Mott, Sutter, Beagle. But do you think that there could be a little bit more like, okay, we're using Horvath's line more so in a, a secondary scoring role? I think you would like that to happen. I think it doesn't take long for that strategy to play out until Beagle and Sutter again, eaten alive at five on five. I mean, if you're throwing them out there against Connor McDavid or uh, Austin Matthews, that is not a good time for anyone involved except for Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews. Um, I think you, this season, the way the roster is composed, you have to end up giving those minutes to Horvat and Pearson. I don't really think there's any option unless you want to start line matching, you know, top line against top line. It, with that in mind, then what would, what would be our fourth line role if we're, um, it, it, cause it is kind of built like a shutdown role, but I know you feel that it, it's probably not going to, I mean, very few players in the league can handle the speed of a, a Connor McDavid, but is that fourth line role? Is that what, what purpose is that going to play? Is that going to be used more in a penalty, penalty killing capacity? I think penalty killing largely. Um, I'm fairly critical of, especially 
Jay Beagle. Um, I think the game has kind of passed him by at five on five. And I think the, the numbers will, will bear that out. Um, I'm not a huge believer in face-offs as I always get a lot of heat when I have this take, but face-offs are important. They're not as important as hockey fans like to think they are. You know, when you see the the stats laid out for, for a game and it, it's like, like shots, hits, face-offs, they, they don't belong in that category, right? They're, they're not as impactful as people think. Um, I think ideally you're going to transition Beagle out of that role and someone like Michaelis, who's, who's more of a, a new school player in. Um, currently, I think the role is largely penalty killing and then just hopefully surviving at five on five. We have also heard Green uh, talk a bit at training camp that he might want to try to use Vertanen and Gaudet in a PK role. So to me, that could be them slowly pushing Beagle's minutes down and him not you know, playing on the PK so much, getting pinned in his own end. I mean, we saw in the Blues series and in the Vegas series, as good as the PK was for Vancouver in both those series – you know, the, the time of possession and the amount of time that the Canucks spend in their own zone def- constantly defending really wore them down. And, you know, you could see how badly outplayed they were in that Vegas series. And if it wasn't for Demko standing on his head those last two games, you know, those last two games probably would have been a blow. What are your thoughts of maybe slowly transitioning Gaudet and even Vertanen into that PK role? I think it's important. Um I think penalty killing is going to be exceptionally important this year with the Scotiabank North division. Um, <laughs> like to throw that in as often as possible. Uh, you know, they, th- they throw Quadrelli a couple bucks every time I say that. So I got to I got to get it in as much as possible. Um, with those divisional games. I mean, there's going to be a lot more penalties just on the, you know, rambunctiousness side of things. Um, there's also that familiarity that comes with playing the same teams game in and game out where five on five is going to even up a little bit due to, you know, coaching, et cetera. And special teams are going to be even more important. Uh, currently they have a set of four that they've been trying out in training camp. And that's, you know, Beagle, Mott, Sutter, and Roussel, which I'm excited for. Roussel has a pretty good history before he came to Vancouver of penalty killing, but you need more than four forwards uh, killing penalties, especially when, you know, if, if Mott's scrimmage was any indication, he's going to be taking a fair few of those penalties himself. Um, I think Vertanen it's in Vertanen's best interest to start developing that side of his game for sure. Um, I haven't heard much from him about that. I know green was trying him out a little bit in training camp on uh penalty killing. Gaudette on the other hand has talked a lot about that. Like he was talking in the summer about wanting to be the next Patrice Bergeron and like, you love to, that's a, that's a lofty goal, but you love to hear it from the guy because uh, if he's willing to put in the work to change his game that much, uh, that would help the Canucks enormously. If he could be a, a, a traditional checking center with the skill set he has. Well, one thing I think the PK has really been missing the last couple of years is speed and our best penalty killer or arguably our best penalty killer last year was Tyler Mott. And obviously, you know, part of it was his speed and part of it was his willingness to sacrifice the body to make plays. And I do think our PK needs more speed. Uh, so a guy like Vertanen or a guy like Gaudet, I think they could be great additions, additions, pardon me, to the penalty kill. Um, it is interesting, those comments that you said Gaudet made. I think, you know, Gaudet realizes he's probably not going to be a prolific scorer in the NHL. So he's trying to hone his skills and become more of a, 
defend uh, define what his role is going to be to be an everyday NHLer. I hearken back to one of my favorite players back in the day. Don't know why, but it was Alexander Dag. First, you know, overall pick, first rookie to get a million dollars. I think I talked about this in the lot last you, podcast. You did. This is like the yeah. Alexander Dag fan cast. I don't know what it is, but but Dag Dag later in his career became a really solid checking player. He became a really good penalty killer. He had some good years with Pittsburgh and Minnesota. And another guy, former Canuck, heart, you know, this is a Canucks podcast after all, boys. I'm going to keep the train on the tracks here. I look at um, Michael Grabner. Grabner's become a great, great penalty killer who still can put the puck in the net. And if Gaudette and possibly Vertanen can add that to their game, they could have a very long, successful career in the NHL, at least in my opinion. I just got word that we're suspending Alexander Daig references for the next three episodes. <laughs> um, going back to with, with Gaudette, though, um, it's also he's in a contract year. We have four young RFAs coming up this year. And I think a player like Gaudette if he can find his defensive game, uh, it also, he's a smart guy. He knows that increases his value because right now he's a three C on a team that, and needs scoring depth, but he's not providing that yet. So if he can round his game, all of a sudden there's various spots he can work within the lineup. And then with Jake as well, I mean, there's been a little bit of no news is good news with Jake this year. You know, how many, how many camps, what three camps in the last two years, we had Jake come in out of shape and yeah. this year, finally not. I'm kind of taking this as a, as a real positive. And I know a lot of people had him slated to start the season on the top line, but um, I, I like the way that we've kind of constructed this better with a lotto line Hoaglander in on two. And then uh, a really intriguing third line. I feel with uh, Roussel who also looks to have a jump back in his game and got at and Vertanen. Yeah, I, I definitely got more hope for Godet panning out the defensive side of his game than Vertanen, just based on their history and and sort of the way that they've succeeded this far. Um, Godet is a smart player. He's his game's built around getting to the right spots offensively. You think you can translate that that sort of vision to defensive, right? It, it's kind of the opposite. You wanna you wanna get to the right spots to stop a scoring chance. Vertan, on the other hand, has always been like a, I, I know he's not a traditional power forward, but he has been a, you know, straight line, shoot hard, hit hard, skate hard kind of player his whole life. Um, that seems harder to translate into uh, a, a real defensive presence on the team. Uh, a player I was comparing him to fairly recently was Rafi Torres in where you might want to see his career go long-term. Um, Rafi Torres was also a super high draft pick obviously had a lot of skill eventually though couldn't make it as a top six player had to adapt his game to where he's you know maybe a little too focused on physicality if we're talking about <laughs> Rafi Torres and, and his lifetime suspension um but where that's more of a you know that energy player that that traditional energy player where you're going out you're grinding down the other team you're you're throwing a hit every shift um you're getting greasy goals you're getting in front of the net um that sort of role long term for Vertanen could be quite valuable, although I'm not sold that he'll ever be that in Vancouver. Yeah, there's a little bit of that hometown aspect. And you also got Pod Colson knocking on the door, who is a younger, maybe more refined version of that type of player. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit, though, about the top line, because one thing that's pretty cool about this Scotiabank North division is <laughs> that... Every team, uh, for the most part, is a really intriguing top line. I mean, you can maybe say a little bit less so in Ottawa, but it's still intriguing. they got a bunch of kids over there. Where do you think the Canucks' top line 
matches up against the other teams in their division's top line. See, this is a really fun one. Um, and it's especially fun knowing that this is probably a one year thing. So like all these, like who, who scores the most, who, who gets the most points in the, in the North division, it's uh Scotiabank North division. It's a, uh, it's bragging rights for life. Right. And so this um, Pedersen versus Matthews versus McDavid debate that's going to happen all year uh, is going to be fun and, it, and it's going to be high stakes, you know, cause it, it's just this one and only year. I think if we're ranking them in the North division, you have to put the lotto line. I think in the top three. And, and I think, I think if you're, if you're talking centerpieces, you've, you've got an argument for Pedersen to be the third best forward in the division. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it's, it's hard to knock Edmonton's top line. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, you, you, they're, that's probably the best line in the division. Uh, Toronto, I mean, they're going to roll out a couple different looks, but I mean, Vancouver's right up there with Toronto and then Winnipeg is right up in that tier mm-hmm. as well. Montreal has kind of gone with a more balanced top nine approach, but I think Montreal looks quite dangerous. Um, I think this could be, I mean, in Vancouver, and we're starting to see a little bit more of the love now with, you know, top 100 skaters lists coming out on the athletic and whatnot. And we're starting to see a bit more love for the Canucks after what they did in the postseason last year. But do you think that this is, I mean, even to say breakout in this market, because we already feel he's broken out, but do you feel it's more of a breakout? There's another level that Pedersen can take his game to. I'd like to think so. Um, I've definitely learned to stop setting limits on my expectations for Pedersen. I mean, draft plus one year was the best ever for a Canucks prospect rookie season, the best ever for a Canucks prospect. And then he took it another level next year. And then he took it or last year and he took it another level in the playoffs. Still like, it's just breaking ceiling after ceiling. Um, I would not doubt anything. I think there's definitely a step forward to be had for him. Obviously point per game status in the regular season seems very doable and anything above that, you're talking about a, a genuine like elite NHL talent. I definitely think this year being in an all Canadian division, uh, we're, the Canucks as a whole are going to get a lot more national attention. And there's going to be a lot of the East coast media members that are going to get to see the Canucks every night play and watch the highlights, especially when they're on, you know, an Eastern road trip where they're playing Montreal three nights, then they're playing Ottawa, then they're playing Toronto. And this could be a real coming out party nationally for Pedersen. I think most media members and most hockey pundits realize Pedersen is a young emerging superstar, but you know, he could be in the conversation as you know, top 10, maybe even top five player in the world at the end of this year, which is saying really something. And I agree. Like every time you start, you try to call your expectations of what Pedersen can do. He raises his game to another level and another level. And even this year, I really give him credit for staying in Vancouver. He wanted to stay in Vancouver to get as much off season training as he could and be prepared heading into this off season. And just goes to show you the kind of compete level this kid has. And, you know, hopefully one day he'll bring the cup to Vancouver. Who knows? Um, but yeah, I think right now that national attention that the Canucks are going to get is really going to showcase some of the young talent this team has. Absolutely. What do you guys, oh, sorry. Uh, what do you guys think about Brock Besser as well? Um, uh, I know he's kind of gone up and down and he's kind of that toy now because he's uh, three Calder trophies ago and we're already talking about, you know, another guy coming in for this year's Calder. 
Um, Brock Besser, though, is he going to also, he's an, another one who I think who needs to kind of take his game to that consistent level. We've seen what he can do on the lotto line. Um, he didn't produce as much when he wasn't in there, but not a lot of the Canucks did on the third line. What do you guys think is a real, realistic expectation for Brock Besser this year? I think, so I've got an interesting take on Besser in that I don't think he had a bad year last year. I think that was a lot chalked up to his lack of goals, which is obviously the biggest component of his game. But goals are often a luck-based thing in a lot of ways. You know, you got your shooting percentage, you got, you know, bounces, those sorts of things. I think he rounded out his game a lot in between, you know, last offseason and, and by the end of last year. Uh, I think the numbers will come. Uh, especially if you have a consistent lotto line that sticks together for a lot of the year and, and eats up a lot of even strength minutes. I don't think point per game. Well, I think he could have a point per game season at some point in his career. He might not be there yet, but I think you're going to see him back on that 30 goal pace or slightly higher. Um, I think you're going to see him pacing for, for probably career numbers this year. Yeah, I think, Early indications, Besser has been one of, if not the best player in training camp. He looks like he has another gear skating wise, and he's really worked on his skating, which I think is an, a component of his game. He really needed to work on. And I think last year, I think he kind of took a backseat to JT Miller and all the success JT, JT Miller was getting put in the puck in the net. And, you know, when your centerman is as dynamic as Petey is and has probably the best shot on the team. You know, Petey's going to get his share of goals as well. My big issue with Besser last year was just his uh, power play deployment. I didn't think, I don't think he's a net front guy. I would I don't want to see green use him in uh, front of the net again. I would like to see him on one of those wings blasting one timers. If Edler would ever pass him the puck kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I, I think Besser could be in for a, a big season this year. I really do. I'm really excited to see uh, Besser's development this year. He's never looked the same to me after that injury he sustained at the end of his rookie year. I don't know if he's just been a little bit scared or apprehensive to kind of go, you know, all in for some of the board battles and stuff like that. And it was a serious injury. I mean, I know there was talk that, you know, he might, you know, not be able to play after that. It was like, it was a very scary injury. So he's slowly becoming more and more confident with his game. And I expect Besser to have a big year. And I agree with you, Stefan. I don't think he had a bad year last year. Just the goal totals weren't there. Yeah, for sure. Hey, I wanted to, uh, you mentioned Edler in there, and I wanted to switch the focus onto the blue line for a little bit right now, because uh, the blue line uh, from one year ago, it's half the pieces that are going to start game one are different from last year. And from two seasons ago, the only guy who's left is Alex Edler. We also have a shiny new toy on the blue line, which is kind of being overshadowed a bit by Niels Hoglander. Um, and I want to start with Ole Levy because the Canucks have been using him in a PK2 capacity as well. But what do you guys think of Ole Levy so far, his showing in camp? And what do you think is a realistic expectation from this guy and what should be his first full season in the NHL? I think with Yolevi, he's a hard player to get excited for because he plays one of those games that's by trade very purposefully unexciting. I think the lack of complaints you've heard about him coming out of training camp is the most like he's the, the, you know, it's a, it's a tired old cliche, but the, you know, when you don't hear about him, he's having his best sort of game. Uh, and you haven't heard about him all training camp. Uh, and he's just kind of 
he's he's been penciled in and and so there's been less discussion about him making the team because most have assumed that he's going to uh but he's been steady uh he looked quite good with Myers which I didn't really think I was going to like that pairing um the fact that he's able to kill penalties right off the bat or at least Green trusts him to kill penalties right off the bat is really good for the Canucks um and I think he's going to just quietly kind of slide in there this year and and not blow anyone's doors off but uh just be a quiet steady presence and that's pretty valuable i also had concerns about uh the oj and myers pairing i i kind of felt that it may be a little bit too much wandering and we know that myers has been susceptible to some defensive gaffes um and so i was kind of like is this the best spot for him however with now hamnick joining the team it looks like the pairings are going to be schmidt nedler hamnick hughes and yolevi myers which again that's a i mean this is a really different look to this blue line and what do you think is going to be the thing that Canucks fans notice most this season compared to last I think the the spread of of the minutes is going to be really interesting and in and the deployment specifically I mean if you've got Hughes with Hamannick um, you've got to think they're taking on some of the tougher defensive assignments even though you might not want Hughes in that role, because you're certainly not going to give it to Yolevi and, and Myers right off the bat. Um, Schmidt and Edler are going to eat a ton of tough defensive minutes and, and they're going to be matched up against a lot of the top lines. And Schmidt's got a history of, of succeeding at that. Edler does in the past, but not in recent years. Um, you've seen Schmidt elevate partners uh, in recent years in Vegas, like last year by, you know, all the fancy stats, uh, Braden McNabb was one of the best defensive defensemen in the NHL. As Vancouver fans, we've seen Braden McNabb for his whole NHL career. You know, he's been in the division. Not a, not an amazing defenseman. Like he's he's a fine talent, but he's not best in the league material. Um, so I think you could see a bit of a revival from Edler playing alongside Schmidt, um, and I think the two of them could eat a lot of tough assignments and then leave some fairly easy minutes for. Yolevi and Myers. Do you think this year's defensive core is better than last year's defensive core? It's been hotly debated all off season. Yes, absolutely. I think I, I was one of the people that was saying that the minute they traded for Schmidt, um, uh, before they got Hamnick, before Yolevi solidified his spot on the team, I think Schmidt is such a difference maker. I was I was thinking about this earlier. Quinn Hughes has raised the bar for defensemen so high in Vancouver because he is truly like probably already the best defenseman they've ever had. Um, sounds crazy to say, but it's it's true. Everyone knows it's true. Um, but Schmidt is a genuine, you know, borderline number one defenseman. Probably probably a number one defenseman. Um, when was the last defenseman we had prior to Quinn Hughes who was on par with Nate Schmidt? You probably have to go back to like 2011 Airhoff, right? To, to get that quality of a defender. Uh, so I think people, because of Quinn Hughes already being here, are underrating how much of a difference Schmidt will make. The other thing I think that people might forget about is how much of an impact Quinn Hughes had on Chris Tanev's career last year. Tanev arguably had one of his best seasons in the past, what, three, four years. And can he have a similar impact on what I think most Canucks fans are hoping will be a healthy Hamannick? You know, Hamannick struggled last year in Calgary. 
There's no doubt about it, but he was banged up for the majority of the year. He was injured. He decided to opt out of the return to play, hopefully to rest his body and to come back hundred percent heading into this year. You know, do you think ha- uh, Quinn Hughes can raise Hamannix and elevate Hamannix game up? Like we saw he did for Chris Tanev last year. Yeah. I think Quinn Hughes can probably elevate any partner. Uh, like seriously, he's, he's, he's one of the best defensemen in the NHL already. Um, he obviously elevated Tan up to, to quite a bit. Right. And if you look at the, if you look at the charts of, you know, how players played with and without Hughes last year, it's, it's almost comical how much they, they slingshot, right. Where they're well above average with Hughes and then decidedly below average without him. It's, it's really remarkable how much of an impact he has. So yeah, I think, I think he's going to have a way, uh, better impact on Hamannick than say Noah Hannafin did last year, a player who kind of needs to be carried himself a little bit with his, with his miscues. One thing that the Canucks have done with bringing in Schmidt and Yolevi and having a Hughes, Yolevi and Schmidt on different pairings is they've all of a sudden opened up the neutral zone a lot more than what we've seen. And again, you go back to those dark days of a couple of years ago when you had Pouliot and MDZ and all these guys, I mean, Yolevi doesn't really carry it through the neutral zone, but we've seen he is a fantastic outlet pass. Schmidt will carry it through the neutral zone and jump the rush. And we all know what Quinn Hughes does, but what do you think this does for some of the, that like the lotto line in particular, being able to have a guy out there all the time, who's allowing them to break out. Cause this is something that we've seen the Canucks struggle with in the past. It's an absolute game changer. And because they're all these talents as well, that unlike, you know, a, a Pouliot or a Del Zotter, you know, we don't need to bring up any more painful names. The, that you can also trust them back there a little bit to, you know, get that outlet to you. So our forwards can, you know, cheat a little bit more. Um, and that's obviously just going to open things up. And, and you've obviously got the talent to, to do something with it once you get it up to them. Um, I think you're going to see, it's, be, it's becoming increasingly more a transition game, the NHL. And so I think these players are incredibly valuable. Um, and, and like even a Travis Hamannick, if, if you look at his numbers, like in, in terms of those outlets, et cetera, is, is an upgrade on Tanev in that regard. Like I think they've got a really, uh, if not a mobile defense, and I think it is fairly mobile, but uh, a defense that's going to make the puck more mobile. And I think that's, that's everything in the modern NHL. Nate Schmidt also brings a bit of chemistry with another Canucks acquisition this year. And we saw that today at the press conference with Braden Holtby. So Doug, you mentioned as well, how the defense has come under a lot of criticism this year. And I agree. I do feel that the defense is actually better this year because it needed to change. I think anyone who watched a lot of the Canucks games last year is like, this is good, but we need to get a little bit more. We need to be more mobile. We need to have a better transition through the neutral zone. We need a little more production from guys not named Quinn, but we're now going with Braden Holtby and and Thatcher Demko, which will obviously be a one, a one B split. How comfortable are you with that? And what do you think this kind of capital infusion, I guess, onto the team actually means to the rest of these young guys out there? I think, was that a pun? Because there's a good one with capital infusion there. Okay, a, a I like that. Bit. A little. I like bit. that. Not I as good to... as in Lou, but it was, it was a subtle one. Uh, yeah, I wanted to. I want to recognize that. I'm the. Uh, I'm a pun master over here. <laughs> I think I certainly like the the capital infusion now more that it's not 
just Jay Beagle, you know, that's uh, definitely an upgrade in, in former capitals. Uh, I like the acquisition of, of Holtby because he has that championship pedigree, which whether he's able to tap back into that sort of skill, that's, that's valuable stuff that he can pass down to Thatcher Demko. I mean, he's done it right. He's, he's got the 16 wins. He he's uh, did he get 16 wins that year? No, I think there was another goalie who got some anyway. I should have just said won the Stanley Cup. That would have been a better way to do it. He uh, he won the Stanley Cup, right? As a goaltender, he he figured it out. He knew how to do that. That's uh, that's something valuable to pass on. I also think he's got a fairly good chance of rebounding. He's still fairly young. Um, you know, he's he's younger than me, so I, I guess I got to call him young. He uh, he's going to work with Ian Clark, a brand new goalie coach who who's had fantastic results with pretty much everyone. Um, he cratered last year for sure. Um, but he was obviously still enough of a trusted goalie that they put him back in, in the, in the playoffs, right. Instead of uh, young Samsonov there. So I think there's a, a good chance that he's going to rebound um, enough to push Demko out of the number one slot. I don't think so. And I hope not, um, but you want to have that push. On paper, would you say the Canucks have the best goalie tandem in the North Scotia North division? Hmm. Hmm. That's a gotta, tough one. I got to give Montreal some props on that one too. Um, Who's their backup? Jake Allen. Jake Allen. Oh yeah, I forgot they traded. Or these, yeah, they traded for Allen. Uh, and what, and I, depending on what you get out of Riddick, Riddick in Calgary, I mean, he's a solid. He's shown he can be a solid goalie as well. I mean, Markstrom's health would is, is huge too. If if Markstrom's healthy, I think Calgary probably has it, regardless of Riddick, right? Like we we've, we've seen how good Markstrom could be. He was he was definitely the best goalie in Canada last year. Uh, I think again, you'd probably put him in the top three. Yeah. Um, price. You never know. He's been up and down, but, uh, he is still carry price. He's got that name value and Jake Allen's a good backup. Um, I think they're clearly better than, uh, Edmonton, obviously Edmonton's in a, in a rough spot goaltending wise. Um, Toronto's an interesting one. They, you know, they've got more question marks than they've got answers and, uh, Ottawa. I don't know. Matt Murray is, is again, a bit of a question mark at this point, but uh, I think you're definitely comfortable with where they are compared to the other Canadian teams. And you got Hellebuck in over pretty much. Oh, I uh, forgot uh, that one. He's a clear, he's a clear one. A though. Winnipeg's going with a different approach. They're going with a one, a, and a backup kind of in the more traditional, um, which will be interesting to see as well. That's embarrassing. I forgot about the jets. Uh, okay. Maybe <laughs> definitely top four then I'm comfortable with that. But I guess the point I'm trying to make is with the condensed season and pretty much playing every second night, you're going to have to really rely on your backup goalie. And even though the Jets have a clear 1A goalie in Connor Hullabuck, they're going to need whoever their backup is. I don't know who it is off the top of my head. They're going to need to get at least 10, if not 15, well, probably 15, 20 games out of that player, you would think. And so that's why I think the Canucks goaltending, at least in theory, could be top three, maybe even top two, because if Holtby can kind of get back some of his you know, former pedigree. And if Demko is the young up and coming goalie, we think he is. I do think the Canucks have, you know, a solid top two goalie. I forgot Jake Allen was in Montreal. So I do think Montreal, you you bring up a great point, Stefan, whether or not Carey Price is healthy and what kind of Carey Price you're going to get this year. Uh, I still think the Canucks have, you know, top two, maybe top three goaltending in the Scotia North division. Yeah. And if, uh, if there's that many back-to-backs and goalies are going to more or less split starts, 
it does largely come down to who has the best number two. And I think you'd have to give that to the Canucks. I think Jake Allen's got a fine track record, but nothing like Holtby's and they've both had some tough times in recent years. So I think you would have to give that one to the Canucks. And there's not going to be a lot of movement uh, with the Scotia North division rosters because except for maybe Ottawa, because everyone is right up against the cap. Ottawa is the only team with a bit of wiggle room. So I think the goalies that you see around the league, for the most part in this division are what you see is what you get. Um, just kind of wrapping it up a bit here, Stefan, I just wanted to get your thoughts on who would, would on this Canucks team, who would you feel could be a unsung hero candidate for this season? Um, there's quite a few candidates this year. And I think we've talked about them a lot, all, a lot of them already. So I'll, I'll try to go a little bit off the board from where we've been talking. I think that um, Antoine Roussel is primed for, for a bit of a bounce back. Um, I think last year was, was his worst year in, in quite some time. Um, like even going back into his Dallas years, he, he, he's been a fairly consistent player. Um, last year was a year where he was coming off of that terrible injury and then an offseason full of recovery, uh, which obviously has an impact on a player. And he didn't seem to get going last year. Uh, I think having a full off season um, and, you know, the, the strange off season was with the, you know, you almost had two off seasons this year, right. Um, between their uh, suspension of play and, and now this regular off season. Um, I think you're going to see a lot more out of him. And I think you already have been in training camp a little bit where if he's going to be playing with those creative players in Gaudet and Bertan and some of that uh, unheralded skill is going to come out a little bit with him is he's got some, some playmaking skill that you don't always see on display when he's, when he's out there agitating. And uh, I think you could see definitely a bounce back in his numbers, but uh, especially a bounce back in his impact on the game. A little bit off the board here for you, Stefan. Um, I know we're a Canucks podcast, but I like to, you know, go off the board a little bit. I also know you're a, you're a pretty big comic book fan. Okay. Um, yes, I am. Scale of one to 10. How hyped are you for WandaVision? Oh, 10 being the highest one being the lowest. 10. Yeah, totally. I agree. I agree, well, man. I mean, not only am I starved for MCU content after all this time, but like, it's going to be so cool. I mean, it's, it's going to be amazing. It's, it's taken some of my favorite stuff from the comics, like Tom King's vision and uh, house of M house of M. Yes. And uh, it's going to be, it's going to be so weird. And it's like, it's cool when you have this thing, I'm getting, I'm getting more passionate here than I was about the Canucks. Yeah. <laughs> it's all right, man. You, it's you, all right. Hit, you hit on a good thing here. It's like, <laughs> like the MCU is this dream come true for me as a, as a kid, you know, like I, I like to think what my eight year old self would have thought of it. Right. And it's like, yeah. oh, this is, this is the best thing ever. And then to now you, now you've got this sandbox and you're going to play around and do some weird stuff in it with WandaVision. It's going to be, um, it's going to be a hell of a week, honestly, right? You get three Canucks games and two episodes of WandaVision. Like, <laughs> and I, I just got a new TV, so I'm like, oh, man, I'm, I'm having a good time. Nice. I, ho I hope you have someone to come by and feed you meals and rotate you towards the sun occasionally as well. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that's uh, secondary priorities. <laughs> <laughs> well, Stefan, thanks again for joining us. Uh, where can all the good people find you online and maybe tell us what you got going on right now as well. Uh, well, you can find me online at Twitter. That's the only social media I use, I think. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Uh, at, at Stefan Roger, just like the name is spelled, no underscores or anything. I was lucky on that front. And uh, all my writing uh, for hockey anyway is done over at CanucksArmy.com. 
I've been fortunate enough to work with them for a couple of years now, and we're, we're really on the upswing this off season, you know, uh, Dave Quadrelli's cracking, cracking the whip back at the factory for us. And, and we're pushing out a lot of great content. And uh, so you can always find my stuff there. Uh, as we, as I was getting ready to talk to you guys, I was working on uh, my latest article, which was about the penalty kill, which was a big chunk of our uh, conversation tonight. So you guys did a little bit of my homework for me and I appreciate that. Um, you can look forward to that dropping. And uh, since you brought it up, I do also cover a lot of pop culture type stuff, including a lot of comic book and, and MCU stuff over at uh, ranker.com so if you want to look me up there you always can too that's awesome hey stefan thanks again for joining us and uh, we'll definitely have to do this again sometime thanks guys it was a hoot i really appreciate it thanks man absolute pleasure and it's that time of the episode for the free pour open floor and i'm just going to jump into mine and i'm going to talk about a little show on apple tv uh, my fiance upgraded her phone, and because she upgraded her phone, she got a free one-year subscription to Apple TV. And we watched Ted Lasso upon your recommendation, Pete. Loved it. Thought it was really, really good. But another show I want to give some praise to that I was a little bit skeptical heading into uh, is a show called The Servant. And I believe M. Night Shyamalan, I, th- I don't think he wrote it, but he's definitely a producer. and He's definitely... Uh, directed a couple of the episodes uh, really good show uh, really liking it it's very weird and creepy like you'd expect from an M. Night Shyamalan produced show it's got uh, Ronald Weasley from Harry Potter in it and if there's any Six Feet Under fans Claire from Six Feet Under is one of the main characters in it as well the other thing about this show food is actually very prominent uh, what the, the main one of the other main characters her husband is a chef but he's like a stay-at-home chef. So there's a lot of food that's very prominent in the movie. So yeah, or pardon me, in the in the show. So we uh, we powered through season one and season two is about to drop this Thursday, I believe, or Friday the 15th. The Servant on Apple TV. If you have Apple TV, definitely check it out. Well, I do like food, and I hope some of that food is some nice cheese because it's going to go great with this wine I'm about to drop on you. Um, Last week, I'm a big runner. Last week, I was running in the park, and I had a pretty nasty ankle sprain, and now I am laid up, and uh, it's kind of killing me because that's like my moving meditations out there. It's uh, I love getting out in the park, but kind of a funny thing, or I don't know if it's funny or just ironic, but... On the day I injured myself, I was trying to run some certain trails, but the, the trails were closed. And it turns out that a whole bunch of trails now in Stanley Park are closed because of aggressive coyotes out there. So I'm like, well, you know, I guess I picked the right time to injure myself. But uh, anyways, I just wanted to whine about that. That's uh, just need to get that off my chest. But coyotes, sprained ankles, take the week off. Going to put on a couple extra pounds here, I think. But uh, I'll be I'll be back at it. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Episode 59 is just about in the books. I'd like to thank Stefan Roger again for joining us. That was, a, that was a fun conversation. We got lots to unpack, and I can't believe there is going to be games this week. And Doug, what about you for an unsung hero for the season or for the Canucks? Who do you think could really kind of fly under the radar a little bit? 
Uh, I'm going to go way off the board here with my unsung hero, Pete, and I'm going to say Newell Brown. And you're probably thinking, Newell Brown? Why would he be an unsung hero for you, Doug? Simple. Newell Brown is going to finally get rid of the back pass or the drop pass on the power play, and the power play is going to be top two in the entire league because of it. So Newell Brown, if you're listening, be my unsung hero this season and get rid of the drop pass on the power play. I, I like that. You know how I feel about the drop pass, and anyone who's listened to this podcast knows how we feel about the drop pass. Uh, for me, I'm just going to also go with a little bit of a, a silent one. I'm, I'm going to take Jordy Ben, and just because I think he's going to be a very serviceable number seven defenseman for the Canucks, I think there's going to be injuries. I think he's going to can slot into a lot of different positions out there, and I think Canucks fans will get a lot of value out of Jordy Ben in a year where depth is really important. I think we're going to see him probably more than we think we will and he can play both sides. So I'm hoping for that out of the Victoria, BC native just like myself. You can follow myself on Twitter. I'm at Pete underscore gas. Uh, We also have the Canucks Speakeasy outro playlist going on Spotify. You can give that a follow as well. Give the podcast a follow on Twitter at Canucks Speak. Uh, you can give me a follow on Twitter as well, at Doug Venn. And one last thing, just a quick shout-out, Eddie Lack. Congratulations on your firstborn. Just wanted to get that in there as well before we wrap up this episode. And as always, thanks for listening. Hasta luego.